Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about baseball, basketball, golf, and, of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 171. Fun fact, Ariane missed last week's episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, definitely go check it out. And unfortunately, we were unable to get his MLB season predictions. Last week, Mike, Kyle, and myself gave our uh, division champions and World Series matchup and wins last week. Uh, so Ariane, over to you. Uh, we need your picks for uh, the MLB season. All right. Uh, my predictions aren't that exciting, but I'll go through them. It's pretty... Pretty in line with the numbers. Uh, for the AL, I have the AL East, the Blue Jays winning. And then for the AL Central, I have the White Sox. And the AL West, I have the Astros. And then for the... Did you guys do conference games next? Yes. So who's your NLCS? Okay. Oh, ALCS in this case. Yeah. ALCS for me is the Blue Jays and the White Sox. Okay. And who do you have winning that? I have the Blue Jays winning. Okay. And then on the NL side, I have the Braves coming out of the NL East, uh, the Brewers coming out of the NL Central, and the Dodgers coming out of the NL West. And then that conference game is going to be Dodgers versus Cardinals. And I have the Dodgers winning. So you've got a Dodgers-Blue Jays World Series? Yes, sir. And I have the Dodgers winning. Because somehow, between the three of you, none of you guys picked the odds-on favorites. So I'm I'm going to go ahead and pick them to win the whole thing. That's, so not that's true. pretty much par for the course for this podcast. Did somebody I, I, pick I'm the Dodgers sure I to win? The, I Didn't I? Oh, no, never mind. I got the Sox to win. Just that's kidding. what I thought. Just kidding. We did have the same division picks, though, I believe. Jays, Sox, Astros, Braves, Brewers, Dodgers. Oh, okay. For what it's worth. Well, the the Dodgers yep. manager said that 100% they're going to win, so I, I mean, feel confident now. <laughs> I mean, write it down, right? I've never heard yeah. a more surefire jinx in my whole life than saying before <laughs> the season has even started, we're going to win the World Series. I'm like, why? Why would you say that? 100%. But those are my picks, yeah. and we'll see how that goes as Very the year nice. progresses. Very nice. Thank you, Ariane. Thank you for your predictions. Um now, I feel obliged to give everybody your MLB opening week reminders. One, it's a long season. It is a very long season. They play 162 games, right? So, in other words, the first MLB game is the equivalent of, um, in, is the NFL equivalent of, um, see here, approximately, um, like four minutes of the first NFL game. <laughs> Are you going to make any um, any uh, any decisions off the first drive of the first NFL game of the season for your team? No, you're not. So let's not make any decisions. Let's not overreact to the first. If you're the Lions, can't you make a can't you make a conclusion? I mean, like on the make, opening kickoff, maybe. I mean, you can predict beforehand, but you can't. Right? If you're a Lions fan and you score a touchdown on your first drive, are you suddenly Super Bowl contenders? No, you're not. So if you're an MLB team and you win 8-2 in week one and you still, but 
you know, you weren't supposed to be good, that's not evidence that you're good. As a famous manager once said, every team's going to win a third of their games, every team's going to lose a third of their games. So what happens in the other third, or the last third that decides who's good and not. So you can't make judgments out of one game. Second, Are you telling me that the Tampa Bay Rays going 3-0 and does not mean that they'll go 162-0? and Because I have money in Vegas for they, that right now. You will lose it because they are down no. 9 to nothing in the fifth inning as we record. No. So what a shame. Lose that money, so. Yeah. Um, my other first week reminder is just because a game or two gets rained out doesn't mean every baseball stadium needs a dome or a tractable roof. Shut up. Baseball was meant to be played outdoors. Okay. That's the end of that. No, I don't think any of you are going to challenge me on that. You all root for teams in outdoor ballparks. So, Or, or are you part of the put a roof on it crowd, Wyatt? I can't remember. No, 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 no. Definitely okay. not. Outside baseball is good. So to derail a little bit, the Buffalo Bills are proposing a new stadium. Well, not just a new stadium, like a whole it's a brand new stadium. I don't, I forget how many billion dollars is next to that number, but there's no dome in that proposal. So does Buffalo really think they have that much of an advantage in the NFL with the elements and outdoors over other teams? Uh, possibly like, you know, the Rams or the Buccaneers coming up to Buffalo uh, late in the season or, if they're spending that much money, do you just dome the thing and hope that you get a Super Bowl, maybe? I mean, I'm of the opinion that football in the North needs to be played inside. Like, if you, you, football games are played in January and February. It gets cold in January and February in Buffalo and Minnesota. I'm going to put a roof on an NFL stadium crowd. Like, the average high in Minnesota in January is 9. The average high in April is like 57. Like, sure, you might get some cold, rainy days in April, but on average, you won't. Well, on average in January, it's too cold to sit outside and play football for three and a half hours. I guess the Twins don't have to worry about playing in a dome, though. I mean, to be fair, they don't make it very far in the in the postseason anyway. <laughs> so don't have to worry about inclement weather on that back end of the season. I am. Uh, I'm definitely of the opposite. I like... Football, if you can play a sport outdoors, play it outdoors, I feel like. You never hear about those epic 73-degree games that got played inside or whatever. It's all about the ice bowl. It's all about rain and mud and every single movie paints it out with the weather and the inclement stuff. And, you know, that I feel like that's what gives the game gravity. Football is based off these tough guys that do anything. And, you know, you'll see people outside wearing short sleeves when it's 7 degrees out. I love that. I feel like it gives it character and i feel like going to a game and wearing 19 coats and sitting out there is part of the i mean i say it's part of the experience i was a fan of a domed team when i had a team so i can't say for sure but i love that idea and i think it's kind of part of the football experience with tailgating like it's an outside activity to me especially with like jack trice obviously we experienced some awful cold games there but I like the open air, and I want the open air as much as we can get it. I'm definitely fine with open air in college, but the season ends in November. Sure. Instead of January. That makes a huge difference to me. I just like football and the elements. It seems more dramatic, and I like to watch it. It gives yeah, another element, too. It's like, can you perform no matter what? Not just can you perform at the best, you know, 
whenever everything is at their best. Like there's wind, there's elements like you have to adapt and overcome. It gives you a little bit of more skill level, I think, to do well anywhere. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I I, I see your point. I I think we'll agree to disagree there, but I certainly see the the reasons for it. So fair enough. Um, is there any other uh, things people want to bring up on opening weekend? I know I have one more topic I want to discuss, but I want to give uh, other people a chance for their opening weekend observations. Um, now, as we record this, um, every team has at least one win since Baltimore beat Milwaukee on Monday afternoon. And shortly, every team will have at least one loss with uh, Oakland killing Tampa Bay um, today as well. So pretty evenly matched there. What other opening week observation, weekend observations do we have? It's hard to tell from just the, the opening week. For me, at least, I kind of wait a little bit longer so I can make a judgment. As you said, I got four minutes off the clock in a football game, so I'm just kind of checking it out and watching right now. Nothing, nothing crazy sticking out to me so far. I mean, one thing that I will say is uh, San Diego's rotation, at least for the first through the first couple of games, has looked pretty good. It's kind of the rotation, the starting rotation that you thought they would have when they traded for all these pieces. You Darvish, uh, Blake Snell, um, uh, Joe Musgrove, who was actually pretty good last year. And you're like, okay, okay, maybe maybe they got a good starting rotation. Small sample size. We'll see how it works out. But that's one thing to keep an eye on is the Padres have literally traded the entire farm system for starting pitching, and it has yet to work. Um, can the Padres be in the hunt without uh, Fernando Tatis? We'll see. Uh, the other thing that I thought was at least pretty interesting, I thought Houston might take some time to get rolling. Uh, they're 3-1 and one so far. So obviously take that with a grain of salt, small sample size, but man, if Houston can win that division this year, the the train literally just keeps on rolling for Houston. Um, doesn't matter. It seems like they lose a lot of talent, but somehow they're able to find ways to replace it. And it's not like those teams um, like Kansas City where you go to the World Series back-to-back years and then you two years later you lose the most games in, the, in Major League Baseball. Um, so interesting to see the Houston Astros approach and how they still are able to win, um, at a pretty high level and are pretty efficient with it. That that's fair. Thank you for your observations. Um, the last topic I want to talk about, and I want to get your guys' opinion. Maybe I'm just have the, 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 the twins glasses on here, but is the baseball juiced again? So the twins hit nine home runs in their first three games. Um, which seems like a lot to me. The ball seemed to be flying out of target field um, pretty good despite the cold weather this weekend. Um, again, a small sample size could be a hot streak, um, but I just want to get your guys' thoughts on that. What have you seen in the games you've watched? Do you think the ball is juiced or is that just a, a, a twins hit well for one weekend type thing? Uh, I mean, it's it's hard to tell. The Royals haven't hit many home runs as of yet, um, I think only one with Andrew Benintendi. That is correct. Andrew Benintendi hit the first home run for the Royals on Monday, April 11th. Uh, I mean, Coffin Stadium is a large ballpark. Ball typically doesn't fly as well there, you know. But I don't know. I'm at least not seeing it from the Royals lineup, albeit they don't have as many power hitters as uh, the Twins do. So hard for me to tell so far. 
Yeah, the Cardinals have five so far. Not too crazy. Um, but generally, if in doubt, I'll just say yeah, probably. I definitely believe that the NBA or NBA, the MLB definitely alters the ball for whatever they need it to be. So it would not shock me in any way if that was the case. So I, if, I, if you think it is, probably. And I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted some post-lockout excitement there um, mm-hmm. by by getting some more offense. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We should have real data on that um, um, shortly, I would expect, because um, those – so the sites that track um, – you know the 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 flight of the ball and things like that. They actually track it off the the pitched ball instead of the hit ball, so they don't need a ton of games to get a statistically significant data sample because they can track it on pitches instead of hits. So it should be just a, a couple weeks before we see um, enough data to draw some conclusions on that. So keep an eye on that. Um, as for the numbers, sorry, one more thing I was gonna say about the baseball in that regard is opposite of hitting the pitching one thing that i've noticed so far is well our first ba- or uh first dugout clearing um episode happened against the the Mets and the Nationals i believe uh this week or this past weekend and it seems like batters are getting hit pretty frequently to start this season um it looks like pitchers are really struggling a little bit to try and find a grip of the new baseball so we'll keep an eye on that but there were quite a few batters that were hit um on the Mets and that led to led to some hard feelings by uh Buck Showalter as he got a little feisty coming out of the dugout so it's good to see that action again glad to have the glad to have baseball back but it's also scary when you're whatever, however much they paid Francisco Lindor gets hit up and in off the chin and his mouth starts bleeding. Yeah, so just looking on the fantasy website, I just see 23 hit by pitches, which seems kind of high, but I'm not sure. I mean, I'm actually seeing 50 hit by pitches on um, baseball reference, which is high, but that's something that normally... um, normally levels out as the year goes on. Pitchers often have a hard time gripping the baseball um, early in the year, so that um, that could be part of the problem of, of hit-by-pitches. I expect those to decrease as summer goes along and the weather warms up. So Yeah, and with the, the short summer league as well, probably doesn't help too much either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with the 28-man rosters too, a lot of marginal pitchers on rosters that won't be there um, once May 2nd rolls around. So so just things to keep in mind. Um, yeah, yeah we've, you've also, with 28-man rosters, got a lot of marginal pitchers that um, won't be on rosters um, come May 2nd. So that probably makes a difference too. Um, well, we are just in the first weekend of Major League Baseball. We are about to start the playoffs in the NBA, and our resident NBA expert, Arian, will fill us in on what the NBA playoffs look like this year. Yeah, so with not a lot else going on in the sports world right now, we're going to buckle down and just kind of take a quick look at all the teams in there. Uh, with the play, the playoffs haven't technically started because we have the play-ins, so you do have four teams from each conference competing for the right to get into those playoff spots. But we're basically going to go down the 20 teams, and I'm just going to hit a couple bullet points. Just give you kind of an up and down of all of them. And we'll kind of work it from there. And if you guys want to ask me questions, I can maybe answer depending on how in-depth they are. 
Uh, so we're going to start with the West, and I'll just go down the seeding, and then we'll do the same with the East. Uh, in the number one seed, you have the Suns. They had by far the best conference, or the rest, the best record in the NBA this year. Uh, they have for quite a while. They locked it up. Feels like two or three weeks ago, they already had that locked up. Uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul are the main engines of the team. Chris Paul did have a little bit of injury earlier this season, but doing his best to fight off father time and making it work for everybody. But they do have a very deep and a very complete roster of two-way players and wings who can guard up and down the roster. Uh, That is why they have done so well, even with injuries on their roster. So definitely look to see what their rotation looks like going into the playoffs with so many players who can make a difference. Uh, And they will be looking... Yeah, I'm sorry, up? I was going to say, why has Chris Paul succeeded in beating Father Time and LeBron James hasn't? Do you have well, any thoughts on that? Um, so just one of those reasons. As, just as far as injuries. I mean, I still think yeah. LeBron is probably the better player when healthy. but Yeah. One of those reasons is play style. Uh, Chris Paul's a small guard. He's not going up and dunking the ball and coming down so hard on his knees. He's not banging as hard as LeBron is for rebounds. He's not taking all that contact going at the rim. He's more of a pick-and-pop mid-range guy. He can finish at the rim, but he would prefer not to, and he's looking to play make the other. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I can guarantee you that their total career minutes played are very different because Chris Paul has not had a ton of success in the postseason, whereas LeBron went to, like, 10 straight finals. Like, his postseason minutes alone eclipse a ton of NBA players' total minutes in their entire career. So uh, that's probably the biggest difference, and... I do know that, I don't know if this makes a difference in health, but I know that Chris Paul started a vegan diet probably about five or six years ago, and I do not believe LeBron is doing that, but that could be part of it as well. And uh, the Grizzlies are, the Grizzlies, I skipped a bullet point. The Suns are looking for redemption after going two up 2-0 in the finals versus the Bucks. They did lose in the championship game, so they'd be looking to redeem that, and with how well they've been doing in the regular season, kind of anything other than that is a little bit of a disappointment, to be honest. Uh, Coming in at that number two seed, like I accidentally said last time, is the Grizzlies. They are the youngest team to finish with a top two record uh, since minutes. They're the youngest team in minutes played, basically, to finish with a top two record since minutes became an officially tracked stat in 1951. So they are 24.4 by weighted playing time, which is younger than everybody who's doing this podcast, which is kind of crazy to think about. But uh, they are headed by John Morant. Uh, Dynamo, been fantastic this year, kind of taken the league by storm. And uh, they have a lot of other guys too. Jaron Jackson Jr. has been great. Desmond Bain, you'll see them in the playoffs. So keep a lookout. They have a lot of swagger. They come at you. They really don't care who you are. They're going to beat you no matter what is what they think. I tend to think they will go far in the playoffs. And I could be wrong. I'm trying to remember right when I kind of joined up, you guys asked me for my takes for who was going to be in the championship. And I feel like I picked Golden State and the Bucks. But then for Dark Horse picks, I picked the Grizzlies and the Bulls. So I feel like I my Grizzlies correct, pick looks yeah. pretty good. My Bulls pick hasn't looked as good in the past couple weeks, but we'll get to them later on. But I just wanted to give myself a little credit there on the Grizzlies. Uh, the Warriors are the three seed in the West. Uh, they are dealing with injury issues like they always have. But even with those injury issues, they're still the three seed. The Warriors' big three have played 11 minutes together the entire year, that being Steph, Clay, and Dre. 
and they have played 11 minutes together since Clay went down in the finals versus the Raptors, which was in 2019. So it's crazy how they have not been on the court together at all. And their projected ideal starting five, which would be Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, uh, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and Kevon Looney, have played a literal seven seconds this year altogether. So it's kind of a question of can you get your guys back and can you build that chemistry on the run? If so, I don't think anybody wants to see these guys in the playoffs, but we'll have to see what happens with uh, Stephen Curry coming back. Uh, let's see. After that, you have the Dallas Mavericks. They were kind of middling. They shipped out Kristaps Porzingis at the trade deadline, which I was surprised about, and I didn't think it was a great deal for them. But they have looked a lot better since swapping him out. Uh, Porzingis and Doncic never seem to have great chemistry together, but uh, having Spencer Dinwiddie on the team for a secondary ball handler and a scorer, and Doncic finally not being kind of fat and playing his way into shape halfway through the season have made them a lot better. And they have looked good down the stretch with their new coach, Jason Kidd. And after that, we have the Utah Jazz, who have been in the news constantly, basically since COVID happened. Uh, If you guys recall, Rudy Gobert coughed on all the reporters' mics and touched them, and then (laughs) it was... And then then got COVID two days later? Yes, and shut the entire world down, it feels like. So basically since then, it's been drama um, between Rudy and donovan or they're failing in the playoffs and choking and they've blown more double digit leads this year than every anybody in the entire uh nba so there's a lot of talk about why they can't close games what are they doing wrong and this is probably the last year for the jazz as constructed unless they're going to go deep into the playoffs um i would expect one and or both of donovan mitchell and rudy gobert to be traded if they get out early in this personally i would keep rudy gobert and trade Donovan Mitchell because I think a middling height to short guard who can get a lot of buckets is a lot easier to find than a defensive anchor who changes your entire offensive defensive scheme. I know he's not the most talented offensive player, but defensively he is singular, and you could make an argument for him being in the Hall of Fame if he retired after this year. But I, the, the league values offense, so I doubt that that would be what they would do. But I, you hear a lot of rumors that maybe Donovan Mitchell is not that excited about staying in Utah for his whole career. All right. And then after that, we have the Denver Nuggets. And Nikola Jokic, in my opinion, presumptive MVP, reigning MVP, became the first player with 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 5,000 assists in a single season. And his 32.92 player efficiency rating is the highest that has ever been recorded in the NBA since that started being recorded. 5,000 assists to 500 assists. Oh, gosh, 500 assists. I'm sorry. They would be a lot higher in the standings if he had 5,000 assists. I think you should just give him the MVP right now if he has (laughs) 5,000 assists. Yes, that seems like a good thing. Does that Uh, mean he goes in the Hall of Fame immediately, too? It it definitely should. Uh, Eat your heart out, John Stockton. Uh, All your records are broken. Um, basically the key to Denver's postseason is, can you get Jamal Murray and, uh, Michael Porter Jr. back? Are they going to be able to play at all? Michael Porter Jr. played nine games a season. Jamal Murray has played zero. Uh, it's incredible that they're even this far up the standings without their second and third best players. I'd be interested to see what other teams could lose their second and third best players and still make the postseason. I think that kind of says how 
fantastic that Jokic has been. So you basically have three options. They either come back and play their roles. Jokic has literally the most ridiculous postseason we've ever seen, or they probably get out pretty early. After that, you have uh, Mike's home team, the resident feel-good kids, the Timberwolves. Uh, Basically, the main question is like, can the Timberwolves win a series? I meant to look up the last time they actually won a series. Uh, I did not do it, but it's been a long time. I think it's going to be like 2009, probably. Let me look. It's been a while. I'll look it up while you keep talking. Uh, They have a fun starting five. You don't really get to see them because they didn't get any nationally televised games, basically. But they have Patrick Beverly and D'Angelo Russell at the guard spots. Anthony Edwards and Jared Vanderbilt at the forwards. And then Cat right down low at the center. So they have a very good mix of offense and defense. And uh, that five is actually one of seven lineups to outscore their opponents by 100 points or more overall this season. So they're kind of underrated. They are one of the best lineups in the game. And then, uh, interesting fun fact, I thought. What's up, Mike? I said the answer to the question is 2003-2004. Okay, 2003-2004. It was the last and only time that they've won a playoff series. Okay, so almost 20 years and they've never done it other than that one time. So you hope they can do it this year as well. Um, An interesting thing I thought I remember watching this game, uh, the Wolves and the Nuggets in 2018, the very last game of the season, was almost... It was a playing game. Whoever won that game was going to the playoffs, and whoever did not was not going to the playoffs. Yes, I remember. And that, that was that kind was of the, basically your first playing game. They weren't technically a play-in then, but that's basically what it was. And that was an incredibly fun game. And I'm excited to watch the playing games this year. They were fun last year. Uh, the Clippers are back, and they are almost all the way healthy. They got Norman Powell back, and they got Paul George back. They do not have Kawhi. There's not any specific return time for Kawhi because there never is. He doesn't tell anyone anything. But they are a really good team, and they are what people always say that the NBA is shifting towards small ball. I always say they are shifting towards medium ball. We don't have seven foot four guys who can't move out there, but you're seeing less and less six foot guards. You see guys like LaMelo Ball, who are six foot four, six foot five, playing the one. So when you can get everybody between six foot four and six foot 10, that's an ideal lineup. Most people are around 6'6 six, six to 6'8. Six, and they are very good at that. They have Paul George, Nicholas Batum, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Terrence Mann. These are all guys that can easily guard at least four through two, if not a one and a five for one guy or the other. So that's going to be a scary team to play. They've looked good, even though they've been decimated by injuries all year. And Ty Lu looks like a really good coach because no matter what they deal with, he seems to get them through that and... I mean, the majority of these teams, if they can get healthy, you got to kind of be worried because they've managed to get here without being healthy. And then you have the, oh my gosh, what is it? The nine seed, I guess we're two now. It is the Pelicans. What's up? I said, yep, nine. Okay. Yeah. The ninth seed is the Pelicans. And basically, I'm just, can they get Zion back? They've been decent. I don't think so. They're not going to get him back. I don't think so either, which to me means you're not going that far. They've looked good since getting CJ McCollum from the Blazers. Uh, They've had a great record with CJ and Brandon Ingram playing. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's a pretty good record. But I don't see them getting too far without their full lineup. However, that would be a very fun lineup when I think about it. I don't know who they would play necessarily at the other guard spot, but you look at 
CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas. If you can get another good guard, that's an impressive lineup, and I think they could do a lot with the time to meld together. And then you have the last play-in spot, which is the Spurs, who are back in the playoffs after a break in their 21-year streak, and they are led by DeJounte Murray. Interesting statistical quirk, he is the first player to average 20 points, 9 assists, 8 rebounds, and 2 steals over a season. I just assume someone has aggressive, you know, things trawling all of these different weird statistical marks to find that out. Seems like there's a player that's the first to average something every single year. And another fun fact, the Spurs recorded the best assist-to-turnover ratio ever recorded by a team since it started being tracked in 1970. And I failed to write that down, so it's not as exciting of a stat. My bad. It was like 24.4, I think, or 28.4. No, that was their total assist per game. I don't know. You can look it up if you want to know, but that's a fun fact there. (laughs) And then we move on. Do we have any questions about the West? No, I, I mean, I've got Phoenix coming out of there, right? I don't see anybody else being able to do it, right? Um, I could see the Grizzlies doing it. I don't think they will, but I could see them doing that. And if the Warriors can't come back, I don't think you can really count out those guys. They have so much championship uh, experience. But uh, if I was going to put money on it, definitely put the most money on the Suns. They should get back there. That is what is expected of them after how good they've been this year. Yeah, I agree. Moving on to the much more clustered East. There's not super, super high highs, but there aren't a ton of lows either in most of these teams. Uh, You have the Heat at the number one. They've been getting it done with the next man up mentality for sure. They locked up a one seed, even though for a large part of the year you had guys getting minutes like Max Struess. Gabe Vincent and Omer Yurtsevin, who are guys that I have never heard of until this year, and I was surprised that they were in the lamp. I had no idea who those guys were, and they're still at the one seed, and they were getting good minutes, and they were playing well while they were getting those minutes. And uh, really, the main thing is going to be, can their stars get it done in the postseason? You have Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, and Bam Adebayo, who are going to need to carry that team, as well as Tyler Hero off the bench who does appear to be a leading in the six-man-of-the-year awards right now. But it's going to be a very log-jammed Eastern Conference. Like I said, these teams don't necessarily have a ton of separation between them. Coming in at the two-seed is Boston. It's kind of a tale of two halves of the season for them. Uh, They started the season pretty poorly. Uh, Jason Tatum was shooting really badly. It seemed like they were confused at what they needed to be doing overall. People were really questioning the hire of their new head coach, Ime Udoka after their last coach moved to the front office. Uh, But down the stretch, basically after the All-Star game, they have been fantastic. They've been a defensive juggernaut and a team that no one wants to see, especially in the playoff times when the pace ratchets down a little bit and everything gets locked up. It'll be interesting to see if they can manage that and keep that momentum going defensively because they did have an injury to their center, uh, Robert Williams. He does not currently have a timetable to return. He may not come back at all in the postseason. But they have an exceptional defense. Uh, They made a great move at the trade deadline, adding Derek White from the Spurs. So their lineup looks like Marcus Smart, who is an incredible defender and leading in the Defensive Player of the Year awards odds on right now, I think. Then you have Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. And then with Robert Williams out, you have kind of a 
platoon swap kind of deal of Robert Horford, Daniel Tyson, Grant Williams. I really don't see a lot of weaknesses there. I don't know who you attack. Everybody has long arms. Everybody moves well. So that'll be a fun series to watch, and it'll be interesting to see how many people are sitting under 100 points at the end of the game. Side note, if Marcus Smart does win, he will be the first guard to win the Defensive Player of the Year since 1996, and that was Gary Payton for the now-defunct Seattle Supersonics. And then we have the Milwaukee Bucks in third place. Giannis basically, obviously, is going to lead this like he did last postseason with an epic, legendary finals performance. Um, He's been as good as he's ever been, and he's played a lot more center this year because Brooke Lopez, their center, was injured for quite a long time. I think he only played 11 games this year. Um, We've seen what they can do complete, uh, much like Phoenix, not surprisingly, since they were both in the finals last year. They also have a very complete team. They have good depth, and they have everybody's kind of a two-way player. So don't be surprised at all if we see a rematch of last year's finals and this year's finals. And then we have the 76ers. Been a lot of talk about them this year with Ben Simmons sitting out and basically just dealing with that all year. And that's all anybody wanted to ask about. Um, It's a big year for them. And it's a big year for James Harden, who managed to force his way out of two teams in less than a year, calendar year. Uh, He does not have a great postseason reputation right now, and if he can't get it done with Joel Embiid playing at MVP level right now, I think that kind of cements his legacy as a guy who just does not get it done in the postseason. He hasn't looked good in these past few games. There are rumors that he has a hamstring injury that's still bothering him, but if they're both on, I I don't know how you just stop that as a defense. They both can score at all three levels. They're both going to get to the line minimum five times a game, basically, probably closer to 15. Um, once they get their pick and roll going, good luck to you. So if they're both doing what they're supposed to be doing and playing at their highest level, you're going to need to be on your A game. And I don't see a lot of teams being able to stop that. And, uh, Embiid has been fantastic. He could win the MVP. He could win the defensive player of the year. He has a legitimate case for most of those, but he also could not win either. I wouldn't expect him to win the defensive player of the year and... I think he'll lose in a close race to to Nikola Jokic for the MVP. Um, another little side note for them, uh, Matisse Thibel, who is their best wing defender, only got one vaccine. So he will not be able to play any away games versus their first round opponent, who are the Toronto Raptors in Canada. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects their game plan. And up next, the aforementioned Toronto Raptors. They have been very good. Uh, not a ton of expectations on them at the beginning of the year. Uh, they have been buoyed by potential rookie of the year, Scotty Barnes. It's not often that you see a fourth overall pick going to the playoffs, because generally if you get picked in the top five, hey, guess what? Your team is bad. But uh, they play their starters really heavy minutes, and they will continue to do so in the playoffs. Um, every single one of their starters is in the top 30 in minutes per game. So you can look at that one of two ways. Either it will benefit them, As everybody shifts their rosters closer to playing their starters more minutes, they will be used to that, or they're already tired from doing that all the time, and they will not have that energy. So we'll see which way that swings once it actually starts going. The Bulls are not doing great recently. Uh, At one point, they were at the top of the division conference, and they have just slid 
drastically in the past couple weeks to a month, honestly. Um, they don't have Lonzo Ball, who has been beneficial to them. They played a while without another point guard earlier this year, but they're basically just going to have to rely on their spectacular wing duo of Zach Levine and a resurgent and arguably career best having DeMar DeRozan. Neither of those guys are known for their defense, so they're really going to have to play a great offense and rely on that team defense. Uh, their record against top four teams in the East is 1-14 and 14 this season. So you got to wonder... That's not good. It's very bad. So you got to wonder how long you can really last in the playoffs where, uh, you know, you kind of have to beat those one through four teams to uh, do anything worthwhile. So they may get out of the first round, but after that, I mean... Theoretically, you only have to beat one of the top four teams in the East. True. So, theoretically. And then you have the Brooklyn Nets, who have been full of drama all year. Uh, They are bringing it up to the play-in. They are must-see TV. Regardless of what you think about their personalities or who they are, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, in my opinion are two of the most aesthetically pleasing players to watch in recent history. Uh, They're just fantastic. Both of them, they can score. Kyrie has some of the best handles we've ever seen in the sport. And then you have to wonder, will Ben Simmons be back at any point? He has not played a single game this year. We thought he was going to be back, and he had a back injury all of a sudden. Steve Nash has stated that he would be fine just plugging him in in the playoffs to play any minutes he can get without working him in necessarily. So that'll be one thing to pay attention to. And then, really, the Nets' way to win is score. Score a bunch of points. Their defense is not good at all, but anything is possible, and you can beat anybody when you have two guys who are going to drop 40 on any night if they want to. So they're definitely an interesting team to watch, and kind of the the opposite, in my opinion, of uh, the Celtics. If you want to watch a team score 140 points, potentially, turn on that Nets game. If you want to see, you know, like a score that's 101 to 92, Turn on the Celtics game. After that, we have the Cavaliers, who are, uh, they have a what I would call a big ball lineup rather than a small ball lineup. That seems to be the rage in the NBA this year. You have guys like Draymond Green at 6'7", 6'8", in the center. Uh, the Cavaliers have been playing three guys over 6'10", in their lineup for the majority of the year in Jarrett Allen. Uh, Evan Mobley, and Laurie Markkinen. And then they have also been helped by the tremendous growth of their MIP candidate, Darius Garland. They did have two All-Stars, and it was worthy of that. Uh, The All-Star game was in Cleveland, so that was pretty cool for them. They've been hit hard by injuries this year, though, which is a large amount of the reason that they are in the play-in. No starter on their team logged more than 68 games, and they have lost two point guards for the season and Ricky Rubio and Colin Sexton, and Jarrett Allen, their starting center, who was having a great year, is currently out indefinitely with, I believe, a finger fracture. Uh, Cleveland, it is their first 500 or above season without LeBron since 97, 98 season. So pretty impressive. There's probably a large, I don't know about a large amount, but a decent amount of people who probably were not born on their roster when that happened. And as a whole... Out of the 51 years the Cavaliers have been around, 10 of their 23 500 or above seasons came with LeBron. So it's impressive to see 
how much of their success has literally just been LeBron coming in and taking them where they need to go. After that, you have the eight seed Hawks. Eight seed or nine seed? I get lost. They would be the eight Mm. because the Hornets are the nine. Okay. No. Yeah, nine and ten, right? Six, seven, yeah, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, 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 nine. Okay, we got that figured out. Nine seed Hawks. I should have labeled it, but I didn't. Uh, they're basically going to go as far as Trey Young can take them. That that really is what it is. He is the engine that drives it. He became the second player to ever lead the NBA in points and assists. Nate Tiny Archibald was the only other person to ever do that in 1972-73. If you do recall, he was the first person to ever lead the NCAA in points and assists. So we've seen that that is his skill set. He is fantastic at just... I mean, he's a bucket getter. It doesn't matter whether he's getting them or he's giving them to other people. He will make you score. And he kind of needs to to cover up how bad he is on the defensive end. But he is incredible on the offensive end, and it is fun basketball to watch. Also, obviously, by just elimination, he is obviously the only player to ever lead both the NCAA and the NBA in points and assists in a single season, since he's the only person who's ever done it for the NCAA. But pretty impressive stuff from him there. Um, they are definitely on the Nets train of outscore or get sent home. The Hawks are second in three-point percentage in the NBA, but they are 26th in defensive rating. So we kind of see where their strengths and weaknesses lie there. And last but not least, I say that, but I don't have very many notes on them. So maybe least you have the Hornets bringing up the rear. Uh, they're young, but seemingly on the come up. I don't see them going really far this year, but I could see them making noise and being a big deal later on and for years to come. Uh, LaMelo Ball, Miles Bridges, Terry Regier all had good years and are leading the team. In theory, Gordon Hayward should be factoring in, but as usual, he has been injured for a good amount of it. I don't think he's coming back this playoffs, but seems like everywhere he goes since Utah, he's just injured for the most of the time and we haven't been able to see him play or get the most out of him on his rosters. They do lead the league in assists per game at 28.1. So that shows you their kind of play style and selfishness, unselfishness. So interesting there. They at least have a winning philosophy that they are building there after a long time of kind of being a joke. So we'll see what happens there. I do believe that is every single person that is in the playoffs. And uh, yeah, that's what I got. Thank you very much for that update, Arian. Keep it nice. So the play-in games are Tuesday through Friday, right? And then the playoffs start on like Sunday or Monday or when do they? Uh, I think that's right. Okay. I hadn't even yeah, looked at looks the playoffs like sun- yet. Looks like looks like Sunday. I'm looking at the calendar. Sunday, Saturday. Actually, there's some games that start even on Saturday. So, yeah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That was that was very in depth. I mean, I I didn't know that much about the NBA, so I was very enlightened, enlightened along with with the rest of our listeners. So thank you, Ariane. Now you guys are ready. You can start watching all the plans and playoffs games. We can text about it, and you guys will be so smart when we're talking about it next episode. Oh, so tuned I'll be in. Like, I'll be like, what about what about that guy, um, Miles Bridges, who I'd never heard of before five minutes ago, and I'll tell you all about him. Oh, tell me about it. You have Miles Bridges on the Hornets, and then you have Michael, Michael Bridges on the Suns. They're both M.I. Bridges. It's very confusing. They got drafted in the same year, too. Wow. 
Yeah, it is a little bit confusing. But what's not confusing, at least not to me, is is golf. And we had a really big golf uh, tournament this this weekend. Um, Kyle, you want to fill us in on what happened at the Masters? Yeah. So, like like many of our listeners, I'm sure you've you've all probably heard of the Masters, but have you heard of this year's winner? Previous prior to this Masters, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, Scotty Scheffler uh, turned pro. Um, in 2018, he played his college golf at the University of Texas. Um, and if you didn't know him yet, put him on your radar. Uh, this year, Scotty Scheffler in, well, since February 13th of 2022, so in the 2021-2022 season, he has now won four tournaments, including the Masters. Uh, he is on an absolute tear. And... You guys read my mind. What tournaments did he win? Well, I've got it pulled up for you. So in February 2013, he won the Waste Management Phoenix Open, a huge uh, golf event, um, big production down there in Phoenix. He also won the Arnold Palmer. Some of you might have heard that name before. Invitational presented by MasterCard. Uh, He also won the World Golf Championships, Dell Technologies Match Play Tournament, and then finally the Masters at Augusta National. Um, it was an absolutely beautiful uh, final round. Uh, conditions were perfect on Sunday. He trudged through some miserable conditions on Saturday, but th- this guy played a phenomenal, phenomenal round of golf. Um, but prior to this tournament, uh, he climbed the ranks very quickly while winning those four tournaments. He moved to world number one for the first time ever on March 27th. And a little trivia for um, the the co-hosts here. He is one of five golfers to ever win the Masters while being ranked the world number one. Can any of you guess one of the other four? One of the other four? Can you meet who've done what, Si? Won the Who Masters won the Masters the one in the world? At ranked as the number one in the world currently i don't know like jordan at the time spieth? That they won jordan spieth in tiger woods tiger, woods tiger woods would be correct that seemed to tiger woods won both both in 2001 and 2002 while ranked number one in the world you're missing one uh, recent one recent it's gotta player be dustin johnson you got it 2020 dustin johnson and i will if you get any of these other two, I would be absolutely shocked. What years uh, was it? 91 and 92. Okay, so yeah, I'm going to pass. 1991, 1992. Yeah, before my time, yeah. Ian Woosnam and Fred Couples. You might have, have recognized heard of Fred, Fred Couples. Guys. Fred Couples I've before, but Fred Couples, yeah. not Ian Woosnam. That was interesting to me. So there you have it, a little golf history. Uh History that you don't really need to think about too much as Rory McIlroy has been phenomenal for the last or the last, you know, 10 years. He's always been in tournaments, giving it a good run. Well, he gave Scotty a run for his money in this tournament when he shot a eight under 64 uh, final round um, starting the he finished the day at seven under. So he started at plus one um, just what had a phenomenal round of golf wasn't quite enough to catch up to Scotty because Scotty played 
a very, very smart final round. He came into uh, the final day at uh, nine under, finished the day at 10 under, but he played very conservative. Um, he was making sh- smart shots. Uh, instead of going driver, he was going uh, three wood um, on some of the shorter the shorter uh, pars um, and courses. But if he ever got into trouble, he took the conservative shot and just held on to the lead. He wasn't wasn't gunning for it. They don't pay you more for winning by more strokes. So, in my opinion, birdie on hole three gave him a ton of momentum in the final round. Cam Smith, his uh, pair um, on the final round, started out phenomenal. And the once that birdie putt went in, or sorry, it was a chip in, uh, about pin high on the third, and it was you. You'll have to go and watch it. Birdie putt on hole three, final round. Uh, it was just an incredible golf shot. Gave him so much momentum over Cam Smith, and it was really the fuel that he needed to earn him that first green jacket uh, of his career. So, yeah. That was the Masters. Um, Tiger Woods, any of you who are uh, paying attention to you know, his return to golf at the Masters, well, it didn't go so well for him. I think he finished tied for 46th or something at plus 12. Um, I'd have to look up the actual, actual outcome there, but not a great showing for Tiger Woods. He was in it through the first two rounds, but really the third and the fourth round absolutely took him out of contention there. So, yeah, it was a great Masters, beautiful Sunday. Um, it's one of the golf tournaments that I always find myself actually wanting to watch. Do you win money for uh, finishing 42nd or whatever? That is a good question. I, uh, I know Scotty Scheffler. Makes... Sorry, go ahead, Mike. I said, I believe everybody who makes the cut wins at least some money. Let me check on that. I should be able to find that somewhere. Um, so just for reference, the purse for this tournament was $15 million. Uh, Scotty Scheffler took home $2.7 million um, in that tournament. Y- yes, everybody who makes the cut gets some of the money. Tiger Woods, for finishing 47th, got $43,500. There you go. Not, not a bad weekend. Four four rounds of golf, a little over ten thousand a day. You know, take that to the bank any day, every day. So we'll see how Tiger continues his his comeback from his um, car accident that he had. Um, what was that? Maybe a year ago or so. Um, a few other notable names: Dustin Johnson finished tied for twelfth at plus one. Uh, Justin Thomas one under. Uh, in this tournament, Colin Moria- Morikawa finished under four, um, a, an up-and-coming name that you should pay a little bit of attention to. And then the previous year Green Jacket winner, Hideki Matsuyama, finished at plus two um, in this tournament, tied for 14th. So there you have it. That's the Masters. Thank you, Kyle. So, Ariane, you said earlier that we have everything we need to um, watch uh, the NBA playoffs. But I still think there's um, some things that we're missing, and that's that there are definitely some rules that are different between college basketball and the NBA. Um, I'm giving you free reign to take over Mike's stupid rules this week and tell 
us college basketball fans what we need to know about NBA rules so we can be ready for the NBA playoffs. Yeah, so there are honestly quite a few differences and we could go into it forever, but I'll hit on the big things totally. And if you're really interested, definitely look it up. There are quite a few different things on the edges and ends of the sport. Um, I'm sure you're excited to hear me talk again, so I'll try and keep it short. Uh, The alternating possession rule, uh, which was established in 1981, is the alternative in college to the jump ball in the NBA. They still call it a jump ball in the college sport, but nobody actually jumps it up. So obviously in the NBA, when there's a tie up on the ball, They'll set it up and they'll toss the ball off just like a tip off. And whoever gets the ball obviously gets possession. Uh, That was implemented in 1981 to speed up gameplay and to not reward taller players who could win every jump ball and was considered to make the game just a little bit more fair. Uh, There are six personal fouls before you foul out in the NBA as opposed to five in NCAA. 12 minute quarters instead of 20 minute halves. 24 second shot clock instead of the 30 second shot clock. And a big one. Uh, you definitely hear college fans complain a lot about traveling in the NBA. Part of that may be the use of a quote gather step, which honestly could be its own entire stupid rules section. Uh, it is very complex and gets milked to the absolute extent that you can consider it a step without being its entire thing. Also considered a zero step. So definitely check that out if you want to see the specifics on it. And then you have different stuff. There's a little bit of a difference in key width, um, three point arc length, little stuff like that. Five point second ver- or five point five second violation versus three second violation in the paint. Uh, definitely check it out if you want to see the little stuff. But those are the biggest ones for me that are down in there. Um, yeah, if you're interested in everything, definitely look it up. There are a ton of online resources, but. Those are the ones you'll need, and you'll kind of pick up on the other ones as you're watching the game. But uh, we'll transition from there into our accountability session, which doesn't look too long this week, but uh, go ahead and take it from there, Mike. Yeah, we do have a fairly short accountability session. Um, First one is Kyle, probably about a month back, predicted that Victor would beat Ariane and then win the fantasy basketball title. He did do that. He ended up beating me. Um, he ended up beating me this last week for the fantasy basketball title. Um, that game was, let me pull up the final score. It was not close. Um, he ended up beating me. It was something like, basically it was like 3,000 to 2,500, uh, 3,237 to 2,219. Wow. That was even worse than I thought. He killed me. So congratulations, Victor on the fantasy basketball title. Um, and congratulations, Kyle, on your correct prediction. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. How do you get the four seed with both the guys who should win the MVP? It's ridiculous that well, I, I was think, even matched up I against him his, in the first place. I think his team started out like very injured, and he lost so many of the opening games, and then his team got healthy, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, Y'all Kyle, gave me you... a ton of crap for losing to him. I'm a little bit. Honestly... Yeah, if you could have like not made the best lost, team win, so you yeah, if you could have kept Victor out of the playoffs, that would have been most excellent. That would have been great. Ball, yeah, ball, don't lie. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, um, I predicted that the Twins would make a trade for a starting pitcher before the start of the season. Um, it was looking uh, looking grim for that prediction, but then literally um, 
hours before the first games of the year, the Twins um, traded for Chris Paddock, starting pitcher from Cincinnati. Um, San Diego. San, yeah, excuse me, San Diego. They traded for Cincinnati starting pitcher earlier in the season. Um, so we uh, traded uh, Taylor Rogers and Brent Rooker out to San Diego to do that, but we did trade for a starting pitcher. So for that, I get a ding, 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 ding. Um, Josh had two predictions about the Brewers opening series. First, that they would win two out of the first three games, and then that they would win three out of four from the Cubs series. Um, they ended up um, getting rained out one of the four games, but either way, the Brewers lost two of the three that were played. So both of those predictions for Josh are wrong. So he gets that nah, nah. Nah, nah, nah. Um, And so we're not quite sure as 8311 cast hosts how to handle um, the Wyatt's prediction that said the Cubs would win this series. Um, so we're not taking it off the board right now. I want to hear from some listeners how they think we should handle that with the rain out. Should we wait for the makeup game to happen? Should we give it to them? What we should do? So uh, tweet at us or message us on social media with your thoughts, and we'll uh, come back to that next week. Should we just take it off the board despite him? That's an option. We can do that too. That is not an option. Oh, okay. I mean, it My is bad. an option, but no, I don't all vote on that. If the I listeners want it, we should do that. Yeah, listeners, tell us what we should do. Why its prediction is hanging in the balance. Not that we'll, you know, for sure do what you say, but you know, maybe we will. So <laughs> yeah, we might. Either way, your input is appreciated. Um, as usual, I will get our first prediction off the board. I am going to um, hop on that Twins power bandwagon. Like I said, they're leading the league in home runs. I'm going to say that they will be leading the league in home runs at the end of the season. This lineup's got a lot of power. I mean, uh, I kind of just want to give it a home run for thematic, you know, satisfaction. It just seems nice. Realistically, I'd probably say a triple, but I just kind of want to say home run because it's about home runs. Honestly, I'm okay with that because it's, I mean, yeah, you don't know, you know, right? Yeah. yeah. All right, two home runs, we're, we're, so we're good. <laughs> I guess, Did you have, I guess you have it's any decided before I even get to <laughs> say anything. So You can still say something if you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we're going thematically, sure, but I feel like this is more of a triple than a home run, but nah. whatever, it's a home run. Nah. You're welcome, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. I do appreciate it. Because I also said it should it should probably be a triple, but I just pick home run anyway. Yeah, I like it. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He is. Um, he's uh, licking his wounds from those bad uh, Brewers predictions to start the year. So he is not going to make a prediction this year as he studies some more Brewer baseball to get some better predictions going forward. So he's going to take the strikeout. Very good. I'm going to put up on the board for like the third consecutive year now that Anthony Rizzo uh, now of the Yankees is going to be the leading hit by pitch player at the end of the season. He will have the most hit by pitches at the end of the season. What What did we give you for this in previous years? I guess I keep I have, the spreadsheet, so probably I'm the one who should answer that question, aren't I? Yeah, I have no uh, idea. Yeah, Mike, what what do we what did we give him? I mean, a vibe it's, is pretty unlikely, but it does. Yes, but I want to see. So in the 2020 2021 season. You made this prediction, and we gave you a double for it. Wow. Is there any reason you'd argue for more or less than that? I feel like our 
thresholds for higher point values has increased since I've last made this prediction. I feel like this is okay. not a double. It it did not happen that year for what it's worth. So No. It has happened previously in 2015, 17, and 2019 was the last time he was uh, number one with 27 total hit by pitches. So like every other year. Yeah, yeah but we skipped 2021. <laughs> well, you know, it was a weird year. Yeah, short, small sample size. I think a double willing, seems good. I'm willing to go up to a triple, but... Yeah, I'm fine with the triple. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I was going to say. All right, we'll give you is. a triple. What do you got, Kyle? Uh, so, sticking with golf here, as I talked about that in this episode, uh, I'm going to say that Scotty Scheffler will win at least three out of the four majors. So, some of you might not know, what are the Grand Slam tournaments of golf? Well, you have the Masters the tournament, U- so he's one of four. Uh, U.S. Open Championship, the Open Championship, and the U.S. PGA Championship. How many times has that happened that people win three out of four? Do we know that? Tiger Woods held all four of them at one point, but that wasn't in the same year or the same season. He Because he won the Masters like the next season. The Masters is the first one. I'm definitely not like a golf guy. I don't know anything about it, but Scotty Scheffler is the first time I've ever heard of him this season. I would be surprised if that happened. Yeah, I'm leaning towards a home run for this. I'm sure. done. Home run it is. All right, Ann, what about you? So I have a basketball prediction, big surprise, and I have it down that the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Brooklyn Nets will both make the playoffs. So they will win their playing games. And they will be into the actual playoffs. They are both the seven seed, so they do have two chances to make the game. Yeah. So a little bit less so impressive. The Nets, yeah. According to BPI, the Nets have a 71% chance of winning their first game. And the Timberwolves have a 72% chance of winning their first game. Um, so even if there was just the one game, that combined would be um, pretty good odds. Let me Let me get this here. It would be like 50-50, even if they just had the one game, according to ESPN's BPI. So I think this is a single. Pretty easy. Sounds good. Yep, sounds good. That might be my first single ever. Was it? No, it's not. Oh, okay. Is it? Let's let's (laughs) find out. I think you got another one. Nope. You predicted that Kyle would make fantasy basketball playoffs. That was your first single ever. Oh, man. That was a spike yep. single. And yeah, and Albert Pujols with the that? home run, also a single. Yeah. Never mind then. Well, we were one double away from hitting the cycle, but that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 171 of the 8311 cast. Appreciate y'all sticking around. Like Mike said earlier in the episode, hit us up on our Instagram or Twitter, slide into those DMs, and let us know your thoughts on my prediction that is hanging in the balance, awaiting your thoughts. Until next week's episode, signing off for the 87 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!